I want to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land in which this podcast is recorded, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations, whose sovereignty was never ceded and this area's original name was Nam. We pay respect to them and their elders past, present and emerging. You're listening to We Want to Be Better. It's a little mini-series, babe. I don't really remember a time before I drank because honestly, it's all I've known for so long. Before my 18th birthday, I already had a reputation for being a big drinker. I remember at my brother's 16th birthday party when I was 15, I drank close to half a bottle of Bacardi on top of what I had already been drinking. And boy, oh boy, did I get drunk. I don't remember much, obviously, but I do have a vague recollection of dancing to the Augustus Gloop Oompa Loompa song, the Johnny Depp version, being put to bed, waking up in a pool of vomit and crying that I was letting my brother down by not being there for his party. I also remember the next day I had my first ever hangover. Sure, I had drank before, but this was something else. I crawled out of my mum's bed, which is where I'd been placed after vomiting in my own bed, and lay on the couch in the lounge room, incapable of doing anything else for the rest of the day. I told mum I couldn't go to my part-time job at Hungry Jack's that night because I was too sick, but she told me if I want to drink like an adult, I have to suck it up and work like one with a hangover. I remember that shift was torture, And I also remember very clearly thinking I would never drink like that again. I also remember that my behaviour became that of legend. You know, in high school, if you just vomited and cried at a party, you'd almost never live it down. But if you did it because of alcohol, oh, well, then you were the man. Everyone laughed at my behaviour. It was a highlight of the night. I was celebrated for my efforts and went down in history books as being totally sick. I learned early on that drinking was cool and drinking to excess was really cool. By the time I was of legal drinking age, my reputation as a big drinker was well and truly solidified. To say that alcohol was a big part of my life would be an understatement. It was actually a part of my identity. I was the gal who never turned down a drink and was always up to party. And while I was definitely the one who drank the most, I was always in good company of big drinkers. Because of course I was. I thought sober people were boring and I wouldn't be caught dead with them. But my entire social life was just drinking. And big deal. We were 18, 19, 20. That's what we do, right? I do remember people voicing their concerns over those years about my drinking, and I literally thought they were crazy. There was nothing wrong with what I was doing. I was just a young girl who liked a bevy. That's normal. When I moved to Melbourne at age 23, I got a new taste for alcohol. This wasn't like in Perth. In Melbourne, you could drink all day, every day, any day of the week. I was going out all the time, meeting new people and bonding over the beautiful amber liquid that is beer. My party girl image reached dizzying new heights in Melbourne, and I was entirely on my own with no one to rein in my behaviour and I was running wild and free. I lived by myself and I spent many nights drinking alone. Most nights, actually. There was a time where I was drinking a bottle of Bacardi a night. I drank so much Bacardi that I drank the bottle shop across the street dry of it. And they felt bad they didn't have enough stock for me, so they gave me a discount on vodka. And I had considered that a win. I mean, I drank a lot, sure, but I really didn't think there was an issue. 
It was still a fun time. I was going out, getting shit-faced, having sex with randoms. I was living the life, baby, just doing what we're supposed to do, right? And any time a family member, <clears throat> hi, mum, called to voice their concerns, I thought they were being dramatic. Didn't they know me? I've always been this party girl. The thing is, though, I hated my drunk self. Drunk B was embarrassing. She blew all my money. She was irresponsible. She'd drink drive. She took drugs. She said dumb shit. She fucked guys I didn't want to fuck. She put herself in incredibly dangerous situations. She sexted her boss. She was just an all-round general fuck-up, and I hated her. I really hated her. And I often wondered why, if I hated this girl so much, why would I unlock the cage to let her out every night? I knew I hated my drunk self, yet I continued to get drunk. I actually blamed myself, not the alcohol. I still loved alcohol, despite what it did to me. By the time I met Palmer, who I would later go on to marry, I was at the absolute peak of my partying behaviour. In fact, in many ways, Palmer saved my life. Alcohol had led me to drugs. Dangerous drugs. And honestly, I don't know if I'd still be alive if I'd continued down that path if it weren't for Palmer. And I'm so grateful that he saw through to the real me and didn't walk away from me. That was a really hard time for me and I've spent years trying to forget it. What angers me the most is that I have spent so much time blaming myself, blaming the drugs, but honestly, I should have been blaming the alcohol. Alcohol was always the preemptive to my bad decision making. I gotta laugh when they say that weed is the gateway drug because no, I'm really sorry, booze is. I cleaned up my act with drugs but never stopped drinking alcohol. My drinking wasn't as bad as before. I certainly wasn't downing a bottle of Bacardi at night, but it wasn't uncommon for me to be drunk at least three nights of the week. I had a boyfriend, soon to be husband, who loved me a lot, arguably too much, because his adoration of me lured me into a false sense of safety around my drinking. He didn't really drink, but he never voiced any concern about how much I drank. And I was always doing it in his presence. And he's a non-drinker, so I guess it couldn't be that bad, right? Palmer had a lot of friends, and I joined their friendship crew, and they were all drinkers. I was right at home with all these people who drank all the time, just like me. I was drinking a lot, yes, but it was just business as usual. A regular, run-of-the-mill, millennial binge drinker who glorified booze and wore her love for alcohol like a badge of honour. No big deal. But... I still hated my drunk self. I loathed to hear people tell me of the things I did or said the night before. I deleted anything that was drunkenly posted on my Insta story. My hangovers were clouded with shame and regret. I would spend hours on the couch the next day, incapable of moving, struggling to summon the will to get up and shower and having to resort to a bath because I couldn't have the strength to stand. I'd blow money I didn't have on Uber Eats. I'd hide away and avoid texts, phone calls or DMs. I questioned everything about myself, who I was as a person, why I was the way I was, cringing at whatever vague memories I had of the night before and grappling to understand why in the fuck I kept doing this shit.
and then there was me, Annie. Unlike Bianca, I never really analysed my relationship with alcohol at all. I didn't really consider I even had a relationship with alcohol. Like so many people, I had those mornings after a big night where I would say to myself, I'm never drinking again. But doesn't everyone do that? I grew up in country Victoria in a town of about 10,000 people. In the country, everyone drinks. I took my first sip in a tent at an 11-year-old's sleepover birthday party. I remember trying to act drunk just to fit in. The party of young girls then all started jumping into the outdoor pool at midnight in the middle of winter and getting their prepubescent breast buds out. Though I was boobless, I just did it too because being drunk was so cool. It meant you were mature and no longer a kid, you know? I cringed to think of how easily I was led. As my mom had said a billion times, if your friends jumped off a cliff, would you do it too? Well, there I was taking a full run up and jump off that cliff. The first time I got smashed, I was in year eight. I think I was about 14 years old. Again, another country sleepover with swags in a paddock. At this point, boys were coming to parties too, and I just didn't want to look like a nerd, of which I was, of course, so I wrote myself off. That night was actually the night I had my first kiss, which was late compared to all my friends, but hey, I was frigid as fuck and I could not let them know that. But alcohol helped me and allowed me to loosen up. I couldn't even feel my mouth I was so drunk, so goodness knows what my snogging style was like. Oh, and I remember waking up next to a dam, so yeah, look, not the safest scenario in hindsight. Drinking underage was quite normal and although my parents were really strict and all the drinking I did was behind their back, most parents accepted that it was a done thing and most parents even purchased alcohol for their kids. As a nearly 15-year-old, I started working in a pub. I wasn't allowed to serve alcohol but I was very exposed to drunken Australian so-called larrikin culture. Oh, and this was the time when people smoked in the pub too – You know, that's going to be something I told my kids back in my day. So needless to say, alcohol was around me from a really young age. Despite all of that exposure at such a young age, and you know, having a party girl stage from about 18 to 20 years old, I didn't really have a love of alcohol. I had my first child at 21 and then twins at 23. I was forced to tap out of the party lifestyle so many of the young 20-year-old friends were going through, and I barely even had a sip for five years. That was until my kids were old enough that I could pass them off and say, mum's going to have a little treat for herself. I never drank by myself. I never drank anything I didn't like the taste of. I nearly always drank the least of any group at a table. If I had a few, I still knew I had to get up for Ozkirk or to walk the dogs. I was a civilised drinker with maybe biannual moments of having a big night out. But that was it. I had control over alcohol and although very empathetic... Really, I just couldn't relate to getting addicted or having a problem with it. Alcohol and me were fine. Oh, well, so I thought. Hi, I'm Bianca. And I'm Annie. And you may already know us, but in case you're new around here, here's a bit of background about us. We met in radio school. Each of us was looking to start a career in radio, I guess. I don't know what I expected to gain from that course, but I absolutely never expected to meet the best friend I would ever have there. 
We worked together on air in class and it was clear we had chemistry. We knew we were going to be a team moving forward and set out to start a podcast. Annie was colourful, thoughtful, empathetic, incredibly kind and so freaking cool, I was in awe of her. She was so caring and I learnt so much from her. Her progressive views and politics rubbed off on me and I strived to be better because of her. Bianca was confident, hilarious and so flippin' fun to be around. Wherever she went, people wanted to be near her. The way she would have everyone engaged was like when the first grade teacher reads a story and all the kids are cross-legged, looking up, hanging off every word. She entertained but also made people feel seen. Her confidence wasn't all for herself but shared to those near her. I felt like the luckiest person to be her best friend and basked in her rays of happy joy joy sunshine. We both made each other better versions of ourselves. So we thought we could create a podcast in which we set out to improve even more. Hence how this podcast was born. While we always picked things we wanted to be better at, there was one big glaring issue we knew we had to address. Mm, A problem that I never wanted to face. My drinking. Deep down not even deep really quite clearly on the surface I knew it was the biggest area that needed improvement but I avoided confronting that particular problem until now here we are three years in and finally we are about to tackle drinking so let's do this yeah here we are and this entire process has been so difficult for me doing this podcast Honestly, this has been like a reverse intervention where I got sober first. And now everyone's telling you how they felt. Everyone's telling me how they felt. It has been, you know, just sort of sitting down and I guess analysing my relationship with alcohol has been fucking rough. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> Look, I feel like it's been particularly rough on you too. Yeah, I know. It's It's been hard. I, um, I just – I never – knew it was that bad. So we are both sober. Both sober. And how long have you been sober for? Since June 11, 2019. And I'm one month behind you. Yeah. So both sober. And I guess this podcast will be looking at all different areas of alcohol. Uh, I know that we are going to sound like prohibitionists, actually, but... <laughs> um, well, there is a risk that we do sound like that. Mm. Um, and this is totally anecdotal, our experiences, isn't yeah. it? But luckily we have other people that we're getting on the podcast yes. that can give us some other perspectives. Yeah, exactly. And um, I think, you know, I was so nervous about, as I said earlier in this podcast in the very intro, um, how my, I guess my identity was sort of wrapped up in alcohol I have a tattoo on my arm of you <laughs> wearing just, VV earrings. So so that new people understand the love that we have for each other. I have a tattoo mm. of, of your face mm-hmm. on my arm and yeah. you have a tattoo of me on mm. your arm. Yeah. And when I got the tattoo of you, mm. you used to have these VB earrings. beer earrings yeah. and now they're tattooed on my arm mm. and you're sober, Bianca. <laughs> yeah, moment in time, moment in time. I remember the precursor to me getting sober. It took a good year of me sort of grappling with the fact that I couldn't stop drinking. It took a year of that. And I remember the precursor was finding out that I was sick because I got sick 
And I was told I had to go on low dose chemotherapy. And as a result of that, I wasn't allowed to drink more than like two drinks a week and, you know, no more than two drinks at a time, like three times a week. Right. So still quite a lot of alcohol, but like to me, I couldn't get drunk. And I just thought, you know, my entire identity is drinking. My whole life is drinking. You know, my most liked photo on Instagram is me in a fucking VB dress. You know, I thought my entire world was going to crumble. And it was around that time that I found out that my husband had a problem with my drinking. And that's when I... It took a year of me trying to rein it in and then it's now been seven months since that year was over that I finally got my act into gear and now I'm sober. So I do have a long history of drinking and a long struggle with drinking and the reason that this podcast is coming out is because I know that I'm not alone. I know that now since coming out about my sobriety, I know that I'm not alone and if sharing my story and going through all this hell (laughs) can help someone, then I'm really happy to do it. And then funny enough, I started out of solidarity to you Mm. (laughs) and found out that, oh, well, you know, I don't want to do spoilers right up the top in episode one, (laughs) but maybe, maybe I have a bit of a look at my drinking as well because I really didn't think that there was anything, anything at all Mm. with my drinking. So, yeah, it's been quite the ride, Bianca. It's been an an experience. We're going to start now and listen to an interview that we did with Palmer, my husband. (sighs) This was a tough one. This was a hard one for me to listen to, but he will discuss, you know, my drinking. And he's kind of the reason why I got sober. So I tried, by the way, before we even get into Palmer, I know he's like meant to like listen to me so jealous that he's getting all the fucking credit. And I know he's your husband, but I'm yeah. your wife. Yeah. And I fucking tried. Yeah. But the difference is, Annie, you see, he wouldn't drink with me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He would not drink with me. So Same cannot be said to you. <laughs> um, I, just, I, would, I would try and rein it in. Oh, oh God, yeah. I just hate that I have no credit in this. All right, well, here we go. Here's my husband, Palmer. Discussing. The shyest man ever. The shyest man ever. And here's his interview. So, Palmer. Yes. Obviously, when you met me, I was drinking. How did that affect you? You were drinking. How did it affect me? I don't know. I think I was pretty, uh, pretty, pretty in love and maybe blinded by a few things like how much you drank and how heavily you drank and how drastically it affected me and our relationship. But oh, this is really hard to take. <laughs> this isn't as fun as I thought it was going to be. Um, what? But I wasn't perfect either. Never said you were. So. <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, do you think it has been better with Binky quitting the drinky? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Nicely worded. I do think it's been better. I think we have a lot more time with each other. We get to hang out more. You know, it's not as much time spent hungover or spent nursing your hangovers on a Sunday morning, so that's good. We do stuff on a Sunday, which is fun. Mm-hmm. Get to hang out a lot more. Um, you know, you're a wonderful person, but after you've had a few drinks, your personality can change. Why did you not bring that up sooner in our relationship? Like, why did you wait until we were married for over two years to say that? It's a hard thing to bring up. And 
I mean, like once it's over, so when it's happening, I know you aren't, you know, you're not in control of your actions and what you're saying and what you're doing. So it's like, I can't really get upset with you when it's happening because you're not in control of your actions or your, mm. yeah, because, you know, you're, you're under the influence. And then after it's happened, you've actually forgotten everything that did happen and, you know, and then I can't get angry at you then because if I was to bring something up, you wouldn't even remember it, like, because you can't. Remember. Because you can't remember. So, you know, it's obviously a very hard thing to bring up, like, can't get mad at you while it's happening because you're not in control, can't get mad at you afterwards because you have no recollection of it. So, but why didn't you ever think to mention that you th- that the drinking was a problem? Because well, you didn't bring it up until like a year and a half ago and that's when I actually realised I had a problem. I didn't think I did until then. But hearing it from you was kind of like, oh, fuck, I guess I do. And that made me want to stop and then I realised I couldn't stop. Um, but, yeah, it's just like I don't know why you wouldn't tell me if I was – because I sound really shit to, to, like, to be married to. Well, the truth is because I had my own substance abuse problem Yeah. with smoking weed daily. So, yeah, it was, yeah, with smoking <laughs> all day. Every day. Yeah. So it was easier to say nothing and allow that to continue? Or did it feel hypocritical? Yeah, that's what I was just about to say is because, like, if you pointed out to Bianca that she had a problem, then she might turn around and say, okay, well, you've got to address your own Well, I did. Issues. I know. And that's <laughs> Many exactly times, what happened. Yeah. yeah, so maybe not even in a hypocritical way, like I'm not going to bring up her drinking problem because – I have my own substance abuse problem. It was more that I was using it as justification for my own substance abuse problem because, you know, if I would ever think like, you know, I'm, you know, stoned all the time and I'm not present in our relationship, I'm not, can't remember a lot of the things we talk about, experiences we have together. Obviously, that's not a good thing, but... But then that's, I guess it's okay because, you know, of her drinking. Because I don't remember half the stuff either. Yeah, so it's like... Even the playing field. Yeah, exactly. So it's like I felt, you know, I felt really shit. Like, you know, I could have been, I could have, you know, I, I was like, I was thinking like I can be a better husband if I just didn't smoke weed. But then I was like, but I, it's okay that I'm not, a perfect husband because Bianca has this problem with alcohol. So she's you not know, perfect either. She's not perfect either. So we both have our flaws. So we just live a flawed existence together. That's the saddest thing I've ever heard. Well, yeah. Well, and and it well it did get to a breaking point where you were like, I can't, I can't handle your weed smoking anymore, and. My and I'm more introverted, and I'll sort of direct my problems inwards. So I was at a breaking point 
internally, I just never verbalized it until you said to me the, what your issues were with me smoking weed. And then my only recourse or my only, you know, retort for that was like, well, I can't handle your, your drinking anymore. Mm. Yeah. So that's why I never brought it up before because it was the balance to my own shortcomings. Oh my God. I, so <laughs> yeah, that's really. So when I got sober. Yes. How was that for you? Well, it was good. I was like, I was really surprised. I was really shocked that you did do it just because you went from, because I knew like there was lots of times where you didn't want to go out or drink and you're like, I'm not going to drink. Or like I asked you for help. Like Like, I would be like, you need to stop me if I'm drinking. Like, can you help me? And you were like, why is it my responsibility? And I was like, because I can't help myself. I look back on that and I'm like, that's such a ridiculous thing to request of you to be like, hey, I'm not an adult that can look after myself, so I need you to do it for me. And you were like, no, (laughs) which I thought was so unreasonable. But now that I think about it now, I'm like, oh, my God, you were so right to tell me I'm an idiot. Yeah. Uh, There were times where I tried and I'd try to take you out of the situation because you're having, you know, you you obviously gotten to that point where you were pretty drunk and I knew you, I knew that there was a part of you that, you know, wanted to stop drinking for that night, just go home and go to sleep. And yeah, I would be like, should we go home now? Should we pack it up? You know, we'll make this one your last drink, then we'll go. And you'll be like, yeah, 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 that's all sweet. And then sometimes we would go if you're like completely like buckled and you're to the point where you're like, oh, I've got to go to bed. And then sometimes you'll just be like, oh, you go ahead and I'll just stay and have a few more drinks. Sometimes I'd see you soon after or sometimes I'd, you know, see you a while after. So I, I did I did try mm. for a few times and then I just, I guess I just stopped sort of going out with you. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, so how was it when I did go sober? Was it scary for you then? Yeah. Yeah, it was really scary because you were doing really well with it and, you know, there was, there was a week went by and then two weeks and then three weeks and then a month in it started to occur to me that this is not a short-lived thing, that this might be your new way of living so sure one month one month sober is you know it's not a it's not a life change sort of thing it's just you you took you took a month off but if it was your new way of living then there was no possible way you know our marriage would survive if I just kept smoking weed like that wouldn't that's like it's not feasible like however much you loved me you you know it might have worked for you know a few months or half a year or a year or maybe two years. But there would have come a point where you're like, I'm trying to live my best life here and you're not interested in doing that. You're just, you know, you don't want to change. You're just happy with, you know, just being stoned all the time and I've just got, you know, things to do in my life or, you know, Mm. I've got a better life to live. I just want more than this. And then after I realised that, you know, I started, you know, panicking a lot because I'd, tried to stop smoking weed for a really long time and it you know it never took like I'd had many 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 attempts and I was never able to stop but yeah I just sort of started taking steps towards that and you know did yeah did a few things that were important like 
throughout my bong and throughout all of my smoking utensils and become less attached to it. And as soon as I was able to sort of break free from it, I jumped on it as quickly as I could. And yeah, now I'm sober too. Yeah. I'm so proud of you both. <laughs> and it's better. And it's much better, yeah. Yeah. It is. Do you feel like, just to uh, weasel myself <laughs> into this conversation, yeah. did you hate seeing me turn up? Did you feel like I was an enabler? What? When you turned With up? With Bianca's drinking. Drinking? No, not at all. It's hard to blame anyone else or even yeah, blame, blame Bianca <laughs> for it because it's just alcohol. It's just part of culture and it's just part of like accepted social it's the accepted social norm that you know if it's the weekend you're gonna have a drink or if it's after work you're gonna have a drink or if you see your friends you're gonna have a drink so it's not Mm. your fault for being her friend and hanging out with her or anything and of course alcohol's involved that's just like it's just the world we live in almost Mm. but what I struggle with is that Annie and I were talking about how we find it difficult to spend time with drunk people now. Yeah. How the fuck did you do it for so (laughs) long being married to me? both of us. Both of us. Like how did you – I just don't know how you coped with that because I couldn't do it and like it mortifies me now to think about it and, you know, you've even said to me that like you didn't want to see me because I embarrassed you so much one night and like even though I'm sober now and I know I'm not going to be that person anymore, like it really hurts me that – I made you feel that way about me. Mm. It's really hard that you were married to me when I was like that. Yeah, I think, you know, I just, I loved you so much that I was, you know, there's not a lot that I wouldn't do for you. And maybe. Yeah. And I think maybe smoking weed as well sort of. The reason, the large reason why I did that was self-medicating myself so I wouldn't have to deal with issues and I wouldn't have to deal with problems like problems of my own or, um, you know, issues within my life or anything. So that being an issue, uh, you know, I think smoking weed helped me cope with it because, you know, I'd maybe be upset or angry about it or depressed that, you know, this was, this was my life and then, you know, I'd you know smoke some weed and kind of forget about my problems as you do and Mm. yeah and just sort of not worry about it so much and it just didn't seem like such a big deal it was just a it was just a un inconvenient sort of part of our relationship everything else was good like I loved spending time with you when you weren't drinking and all the stuff we did together when alcohol wasn't a part of it but then, you know, occasionally, or you know, you know, sometimes more than occasionally, depending how the week went, um, you would be drinking, and then there would be consequences of that that night, and some more the next day, where the, I had to sort of look after you a bit, or whether we couldn't do anything that we had planned for that day. Yeah. So yeah, it was just sort of a, just an inconvenient sort of part of our relationship but you know I just just dealt with it because I loved you so much (laughs) thank you 
smells so good. Fuck. <laughs> yeah. So how many times have you listened to that back? Oh, too many times. Editing it. The amount of times I've listened to it. You're a hundred percent cry rate. And for someone that doesn't mm. isn't meant to cry, you have cried so much producing this mini series. I, I am so not used to it and I'm the awkward one that's just always in the room. <laughs> like at the you stage. two were having I felt like you were having relationship counselling and there I was just a fly on the wall, like, hi guys. I'm I know. Sorry. Mm. Yeah, I think it's really hard. I think uh yeah, the f- the first time that Palmer, because he's a fucking Libra, they oh, never, oh, never want to confront anyone and they always keep the balance. And, you know, I had no idea that our entire relationship, he had a problem with my drinking. And when he finally told me, I was so shocked, which is crazy that I never thought it, it was a problem because I just thought this – I adored everything about me. It was so alien to me to hear him say, hey, I have a problem with something that you do and this is why. And it was the first time I actually heard it because if you can piss Palmer off, then you've done it. It's hard to get him angry and to get him to the point of saying that you have a problem. Yeah, it hurt and it still hurts to hear it. Everyone around you knew you had a problem though. So why did you think that Palmer was the exception? Because he just – just adored me and I just thought if he loves me how I am then what difference does it make like you know and he sees me the most drunk he sees me at my worst he's always looking after me and he never said it was a problem and now that I look back on it I'm like whoa I put him through some shit Mm -hmm. um the audacity of me to do that yeah I guess hearing from him because I always hid behind this thing of no I'm well I'm not an alcoholic I'm not an alcoholic and then he said to me I don't think you're an alcoholic. He's like, I think you're a binge drinker. And the way that it affects me is this, this, this. And I just thought, fuck, I'm, I am the shittest person ever. And um, that's really what made me. Well, you're not the shittest person ever. You had a problem. Yeah. Had yeah. A really, really yeah. <laughs> um, consuming, all encompassing problem that you didn't mm. even realize you had because. You can't. You can't think clearly when you're drunk. You, can, you don't know. And how quickly we forget. It's kind of like yeah. giving birth, you know. You you go through heaps of pain and then once you're through the other side, you just forget and so you return. <laughs> and you're like, oh, I'll have another kid. Yeah, yeah I think, um, you know, I've been sober now for a while and so has Palmer. And because he never brought it up before, it's like – he kind of – and he knows that I'm not drinking anymore. I think he kind of thought, oh, well, I have free range to tell you about all the ways that you hurt me. And he bought something up once and he thought it was like in a jokey way. And um, just like hearing the shame in his voice that he's still carrying and that I made him feel, yeah, that's really hard to take. And I, uh, I said like, please – I don't want to know about how much I've hurt you. I don't want to know about that because it's not who I am anymore. And he, he said, you know, it seems like a lifetime ago. It's like, honestly, it's like it really is a lifetime ago and I didn't mean to upset you. I was like, because I know that that's not who you are anymore. But, yeah, it's still, it still fucking, like, hurts him, some of the things that I've done and said. 
And it hurts me to know that that happened. It doesn't really matter how much time has passed and how different life is now. It's still, it's still very raw hearing it for the first time. And are you going to be able to forgive yourself to be able to move on? Because I know that you carry the hurt of what you put Palmer through. Most, most specifically, yeah. it's Palmer yeah. um, that got the the brunt of all of your <laughs> yeah. bad behaviour. Because we were. I mean, I knew you had a problem and I tried a couple of times to look after you and address it and stuff. And then I thought, am I am I just being like no fun? Am I being that one in the group that's the mum and that's just trying to, um, you know, mother you? Or is this just what people do? I don't know. And then I just kind of let it go because I thought that everyone around me was thinking that maybe, maybe it was fine. So I let it go. But the reality then is that I would drink with you and then you once you were drunk, you were handed over to Palmer. Yeah, and, was, and so I feel terrible yeah. um, for all of that. And I I myself feel really bad no, um, about oh Palmer. God, but um No, don't but do you think you're gonna be able to forgive yourself to move on or you do you think that this is just I do forever? No, I do know that like I will eventually get over it and like every I think in some small way me getting sober forced him to get sober and I know that he is really grateful to me for that. So I remember a few days before we got married I was having a drink and I was being very philosophical and I said to him, you know, I'm sitting here and I'm about to marry you and I'm so excited and I can't wait and, you know, do you think we'll ever get divorced? Like I can't imagine that ever happening because of the love I have for you right now. And he said you know, people change, people grow and uh, you either change together or you don't. And he's like, I think we'll always change with one another because we love and respect each other so much. And I think the change we have made together is so intense and massive and he was so right. Like I think now that we've gone through this, I really feel like we're indestructible. We're really close together now. And while I do feel really bad about things that I've put him through, I do know that we've got closer because of it. Yeah. And and I know that if I can, like he's such a fucking good man. If he put up with all of my shit, which he did and still loved me, I know that I am very lucky to have him and – yeah, I'm just really grateful that – I'm really grateful that he hasn't – he never uh, walked away from me. And and but the first week that we met, he really fucking should have. Uh, and, and, he di- and he did it and he did it. And I, I, I just am in awe of his patience every day. And, yeah, I think I will get over it. I think you're a fantastic example for people that maybe are feeling trapped and – um, maybe going through changes and things. So I, I love you both dearly. I'm I really excited too. to be doing this with you. And I just want to say, while I know <laughs> that you feel um, like it was all Palmer talking to me, you are also a very big reason as to why I got sober, which we will discuss <laughs> in further episodes. But I don't want you to think that it was all him. You were very. Uh, don't think you're an enabler. You were one of the reasons that I got out of that hole. So thank you. Oh, you're so sweet. I love you. Love you too. 
This podcast was produced, edited, and hosted by me, Annie Nolan, and my best friend, Bianca Thompson. Music by Pleasant Pictures Music. Big thanks to Palmer Thompson for letting us chat to him and opening a few wounds. We'll be back with the next episode soon, so check out our social media channels for dates. On Instagram, we are at We Want To Be Better. Facebook, we are We Want To Be Better. And come join our closed group and forum on Facebook at WW2BB Community Group. Just make sure you fill out the questions so we know the podcast sent you. Thanks for listening. Have fun, be safe, and take care of yourself and your buddies. Bye.